What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I am here with my co-host, Dave Martinson. You know, Groundhog Day was this past weekend, Dave. Saturday. Got an early spring. And similar to Groundhog Day, it feels like every year I'm talking about the Patriots winning another Super Bowl. <laughs> I wanted to get this out of the way early. You know, we're going to get into the, the Super Bowl halftime show. We'll be talking about a lot of music uh, and a TV show and a movie from Netflix today. But before we get into it, please hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Go to SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod to follow us in any format that you listen to your podcasts. And give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We appreciate all the feedback and support. Super Bowl halftime show. Tom Brady didn't play great yesterday. Still got that ring. Adam Levine, also not good <laughs> yesterday. A lot of uh, not very positive. I guess what was your overall take on, on the quality of the halftime show? Then maybe we'll talk a little bit more about how this could be improved. Maroon 5 in general is just such a weak pick to do the halftime show. Like they're arguably the worst act ever picked in terms right. of critical reception. Like they're a band with one good album that's just really popular. And now they're the halftime show just because they ran out of options. Adam Levine is very popular. I mean, the, the songs do numbers. Girls Like You is like a billion on YouTube. The songs are big, but the records stink. And, you know, I wasn't expecting much. Having Travis Scott and Big Boy as supporting acts definitely felt a little odd. And sure enough, they were pretty shoehorned into the actual show itself. Mm-hmm. But Maroon 5 did it exactly as I expected. Super safe pretty vanilla there, there there was wasn't really much to it i mean it's like justin timber like last year but just worse because the songs aren't as good yeah and they don't like dance or do anything like crazy like that so it's just pretty low on the entertainment factor like today i watched Katy perry again i watched lady gaga again i watched uh, beyonce and bruno mars there's there's so much more to those shows and also the music's better so <laughs> yeah i was uh very underwhelmed <laughs> Before they got to Adam Levine, they it seems like they asked a lot of people who just did not want to do it for political reasons, a lot of people standing in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick, feeling like the NFL has blackballed him, which, you know, they, they pretty much have. He pretty much got blackballed out of the league for his political stance. It's amazing to me that probably my favorite moment of the whole halftime show had nothing to do with anyone that was actually there. It was SpongeBob showing up. Which yeah. just like blew me away. I was like, I can't believe because there, you know, there were rumors beforehand they're going to do that. There's a whole petition about yeah, it. Yeah, and it, and Adam Levine had even said that. Yeah, he's definitely going to be part of it. Like that whole thing's going to be part of it. I was like, are they really going to do Sweet Victory or like even like a part of it? And it was cool that they at least had part of it for leading into Travis and then Travis just being ridiculous. Travis was actually really interesting because and John Carmonica tweeted this. He was not using autotune. Yeah. That was his normal voice. He like never performs that mm-hmm. way. He also cursed a shit ton, <laughs> assumingly, because they kept cutting out for the, the, the broadcast. But I thought he was pretty good. I mean, he has a good reputation for this. At the end of the day, though, uh, what he, did? he did sicko mode, yeah. right? It's still kind of a jarring thing to have that follow Maroon 5. But I thought uh, Big Boy coming in for The Way You Move as his second song actually worked good or mm-hmm. better having Levine be do part of the hook yep. doing his weird dancing like i thought that worked a little better travis just felt like got the quick bag and dipped <laughs> you know yeah, yeah and honestly good for him when big boy showed up that was just a wonderful moment seeing him in that big fur coat riding in a freaking cadillac like hopefully it was fake. yeah <laughs> but man honestly just like the my main takeaway is adam levine is just not as good singing as he's kind of popped up to be and for a lot of singers you know as they get older they can't hit those high notes as well 
But like if, that, if that's your whole thing, you got to find a new slant dog. Like you got to find something that's going to translate better than, than that did. So do you, are there any ways you think that they could maybe approach this differently to improve it next year? It's weird because who are you going to ask that hasn't done it before? It's not that many people. I think like the Foo Fighters and Pearl Jam, they've actually never done it. Neither of them. They're big enough bands that they at least, you know, would make sense. They're a little smaller, smaller than Coldplay, but, you know, I, I could see that. But in terms of other bands, I mean, they've done all the legacy acts. They're all too old now, right? Stones, The Who, Tom Petty, they've all, they all did it already. Bruce Springsteen. I, I don't know who's left from, like, the 20th century. And there's not that many big bands this year, as we've long established. And I don't think they're ever going to do just a rapper, you know, all rap show. Yeah. Doing a, the Super Bowl in Atlanta was their opportunity, and they didn't do it. They had all those shows on Saturday in the area, which apparently looked pretty cool. But like, I think they, I think they did ask Jay-Z, apparently, or rumored, and he said no. He's big enough. Pre-freakout Kanye would have been big enough. But it, there's not that many. I mean, do you have any other suggestions? Yeah, you know, I, I don't really. I think that they either need to scale it back a little bit, which is weird to say. I know it's like the biggest, biggest mu- music moment of the year is how they bill it. But it almost feels like maybe just going something a little more regional. Like if they had gone with just people from at like just Atlanta rappers or like bands from there, I feel like that would have been maybe true to form. When it was in New Orleans, like it would have been very easy to find maybe a decent like jazz act something like that. I think the thing is the people who are watching this for for the halftime show are the people that don't really don't really care about the football that much. So I don't think it's going to affect the rating significantly if they were to scale it back and try to play for a more niche thing. I just don't think that that you're ever going to get the return that you want on it. It's a no win situation for the artist as well, because there's no way to really do that well unless you're like Prince, basically, like and Prince killed it. I mean, you would think that more artists would be interested because the data does show that you sell more tickets on your tours after doing this because they don't even they don't even get paid for this, but they have other tangible benefits. So it's like it's just the exposure. But yeah, I mean, the ratings are down anyway. Live event ratings across the board are down. This was one of the lowest rated Super Bowls in like 20 years or something. Patriots fatigue. It's not a surprise. It has, but it has nothing to do with the halftime show or really even the Pats, I don't think. It's just people, less people are mm-hmm. tuned in. The, the Oscars will be down too. The Grammys this this Sunday will be down. Like, that's just the way it is these days. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, an Atlanta medley of like lower tier acts, I thought that, w- that, w- that would have made perfect right. sense. You could have had a legacy acts like Outkast, of course, or just Big Boy and uh, some of the newer guys as well. And I don't know. It- it's disappointing, but I mean, who we were- I mean, Taylor Swift hasn't done it, actually, yeah. I guess. Taylor Swift, Ed Sheeran. She's like she's like the one last one. Bieber. Yeah, Ed Sheeran, too. That's a good one. Like, I don't know. Bieber would probably be the only yeah. other one I could finish up the pop megastars because they're not going to pick rappers and the rock bands are gone, yeah. basically. It's, it's going to be interesting. You know, I think they're also going to have to start to embrace more of hip-hop culture you know they still kind of play this very much more to like rock bands and i think they're gonna have to start embracing hip-hop if they want to keep propelling this and just stay in touch with what's popular now which seems to be kind of what they're going for so Mm -hmm. anyways super bowl great outcome for the game but for the halftime show pretty big dud so uh, why don't we move on to some maybe some music that will uh, liven this up but we'll start with one that i don't think is gonna we're gonna like too much american authors Woo, buddy <laughs> were you were you familiar with american authors before i asked you to listen to this i was not no i didn't know who sang the best day of my life the one i youtube i was like oh this song is made by these guys i don't even know who these guys are okay but shit american authors makes maroon 5 look like the beatles man <laughs> god yeah not good they they blew up in 2014 with uh, best day of my life and believers and then 
they had an album in 2016, their sophomore album. That it didn't really capture the same audience and the same popularity that their first one did. So they, they took a, an extra year this time. Dropped. It took three years to make this album or drop it. And Seasons, yeah, this is their their gritty album. This is supposed to be their dark show that they have another side to them album. And yeah, <laughs> so American Authors, what was, what was your thought on their album Seasons? Yeah, it's just really vapid, soulless pop rock. It's Mumford and Sons and Imagine Dragons, but somehow even worse because it's even less original, has even less of an identity. Like I'm, I'm listening now, like in the beginning, I'm like, all right, this is pretty radio friendly. Oh wait, so is this song? Oh, oh, they're all the same. Mm-hmm. They're all like really chanty choruses, and it's just it's just designed for streaming and the radio. That's all this is. It's just fucking Spotify core. Uh- <laughs> yeah, it is, and you know, I think the comparison I immediately went to in listening to this is them trying to be Imagine Dragons, but really doing it very poorly. Um, and that's not to say I think very highly of Imagine Dragons, but I think that they're able to find a likability or their songs at least are catchier in some sense i couldn't even really find a song on here that really stood out i thought say amen was like a really weird song but i guess okay i I feel like when they're happier maybe it was easier but man yeah i don't really know if there's even a song on here i would recommend anyone to listen to yeah same with me i didn't even write song titles down i quickly checked out on this one i mean at its best it's not like offensive or anything it just doesn't attempt to do much of anything either you know so it's just kind of there but that's kind of what they're going for obviously yeah they're they're just trying to find kind of similar to maroon 5 they're trying to find one or two songs that will pop off on this album and that will catch some radio attention but I don't think it's I don't think they're going to be very happy with this. So moving on to a band that is a little bit more, uh, I'll say, fine tuned. Girlpool dropped their. uh, We're talking about a lot of third albums today, strangely enough, dropped their third album. What Chaos is Imaginary? I thought that this album was pretty interesting in a lot of ways. So Girlpool is a band that I've been pseudo familiar with. I've listened to a couple of their, their songs on past work, but I never really was very into the band reading up on, on this album i think what intrigued me most was cleo tucker one of the one of the lead singers recently came out as trans and has been taking hormones to transition from female to male and it has deepened his voice and yep. brings a lot more of a distinct vocal uh sound to this album and a distinction between the two which i think was pretty interesting and i also thought that they were able to pack a lot of different a lot of different sounds into this. It, at, at its core, it's dream pop, but it seems to really fluctuate depending on what they're yeah. trying to get across in, in the song. Uh, I'm wondering if you like this, because I know this is in that indie sphere where it could either be a, a really big hit for you or it's going to fall flat. Yeah, it, it was, it's not really for me. It's kind of like Beach House, you know, it's just so mellow. And like yeah, dream pop. I just I never really can connect with this these kind of songs just because the vocals don't really do anything for me. But they did change it up sometimes. I think songs like Pretty and Higher towards the beginning, yep. those songs were more lively both vocally and instrumental. That uh, they almost kind of felt like brief like uh, detours from the the rest of the sound. So like, I was actually like, oh I like these. I could listen to these again. But then once it slows down again, I, I it's it's just too mellow for me. To be expected, if you know my taste. <laughs> yeah, those are the two that stood out to me. It's also two of their singles off this, along, uh, along with the title track. And I thought the title track was also really good. Um, you know, that really had these like thumping drums to it, and then it had the strings kind of create that like dreamy aspect to listening to it. I-, I thought that this album had a lot of good messages, and it was 
probably one of the more interesting ones in terms of just lyrical content and subject. You know, I think it helps that probably one of, one of the people who has is contributing to the lyrics is going through a major change in their life and has a lot of things to draw on for inspiration at this time. But it, it really does talk about like, you know, grappling with who you were, transitioning to somebody new and everything in between there. So I thought that was pretty cool. I think when this album is at its most boring are songs like Joseph's Dad, where it's kind of just like a straight acoustic indie. And when they are experimenting with with different sounds uh, and different ways of creating that dream pop element and like bringing guitars in, it, it really adds a lot when they go more towards just making it uh, like a classic singer songwriter type song. It's, it kind of falls flat for me. But yeah, Higher and Pretty were the two that stood out to me as well. Higher actually reminded me a lot of Oasis. And then when it transitioned to Pretty, it reminded me a lot of the Cranberries. Like at first, I was like, man, this is a, a uh, pretty sure. cool yeah. transition between the two. Uh, Girl Pool's a band that I think I'm going to be tuning into a lot more because I, I feel like they have a lot of potential, but they're still kind of figuring out how to harness that so definitely check that out we'll be adding that to the playlist you can find our playlist on spotify just search for nostalgia best of 2019 somebody else i think we're going to be adding a song or two for is emily king with her third album scenery dave one i don't think you're gonna like either but give me your give me your thoughts no i I like this a lot more emily king's a little soft-spoken throughout this record but i found the instrumental is much more interesting and because it's ultimately uh much more indebted to like traditional pop than say girl pool i was able to connect with it more i thought uh like look at me was it look at me now and can't hold me in the beginning uh, were probably the songs that jumped out to me the most i mean towards the back end it did slow down for me but i like this i think i want to definitely check out some of her other stuff because i think uh, lyrically she's pretty interesting and i was reading that uh her first album was actually grammy nominated so interesting artist i was not familiar with emily king had you listened to her before no, I wasn't very aware. Of, I wasn't aware of her at all. Um, and then checking out this album, I was pretty impressed. But, you know, her it's very soft. Like she sings in a very soft and distinct style that I think if it doesn't totally grab you, this can feel like a, a bit of a clunker. I still think that, you know, like the production on this and the different sounds and some of the breakdowns sound wise and then just instrumentally were pretty fantastic. Like the end of Teach You has like this really cool like minute and a half breakdown that's just very like, dancey and and like 80s pop sounding, which I thought was great. But I, I do think her voice at times kind of leaves me feeling a bit sleepy, sure. which I think is going to be something that she'll have to really focus on her production and the, the different sounds she brings to albums to kind of keep people engaged. But I, I agree. I think she's a very interesting artist to to check out and delve back into because it seems like she's very well received critically and has an interesting style. Go Back was one that stood out to me. Like the end of that, you know, I had like, I think the guitars to it that kind of like Girl Pool really pulled me in this week. So definitely check out Emily King. What song do you think you want to add to the playlist? Probably Look At Me Now. now. That was one I liked the most just because it was more lively. Yeah. Which which again, if there's a song like that that can stand out on an album that's otherwise softer, that's usually what I gravitate to. Absolutely. What about G Herbo? So give me a little bit of background on him. I I wasn't very aware of him. I've heard the name, but I don't really know much about him other than he's, Mm -hmm. I think, Chicago-based, right? Correct. Yeah, he was at 2016 XXL Freshman. But of course, he's probably one of the lesser known guys that year. Of course, he's not as big as 21 Savage, Free 21, or Uzi, Yachty, all those guys. But Herb's been around a long time. He used to go by Little Herb when he first came up. He's featured on Nicki's single, Chirac, because obviously that's where he's from. Uh, and he, yeah, he's been around been around the block for a while. And then he really started to level up from the mixtapes uh, at the end of 
2017, where he dropped his first record, Humble Beast. And then last year, he also dropped uh, Swervo in the summer, which was a collab with the producer Southside. And this one, Still Swervin', is also a collab with Southside. Southside, you might have heard his tag before. He's also like the head of 808 Mafia, a tag everyone should know. They're, they make a lot of stuff. But yeah, Herbo, here's interesting because, you know, we talk, we talk about Chicago a lot. We usually talk more about like the jazz rap side of things, the tree of chance the rapper right but chicago also very much has the drill lineage right chief keef herbo little baby a lot of guys like that uh, dreezy was probably more in that camp as well we just talked about but herbo he's actually has a fair amount of music for a guy who's been uh still kind of under the radar i guess like he's he's mainstream and he's connected all the mainstream guys but he didn't really have any big moment or big hit until he did that uh, who run it freestyle last year which kind of sparked everyone else to do a freestyle of that old song and you know he has i think my favorite song from him is Everything. The remix with Chance was pretty good. But overall, he's an artist that I've kind of just appreciated his his vibe more than any like singular song, per se. Because I don't think he has like a great project yet. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what was your take as someone who was just getting used to him and after coming off Dreezy, another Chicago artist? Yeah, I found this album to just, you know, especially compared to what else we were listening to this weekend, very like jarring almost because it went so hard. <laughs> stayed like it was up there and it stayed at a high level of intensity throughout which I-, I think was good but i think it also stayed up there so often that it almost started to feel almost like too singular like there i couldn't really distinguish some of the tracks at points nothing really stood out as like an amazing track i'd say okay was probably the one that i liked the most yeah i, th- I think i also liked up it a lot I also didn't find his, you know, wordplay or anything like that to be super impressive. So this didn't really stand out to me as a a great project. But I did think his energy um, and, you know, just the the songs in general, like the beats were were interesting and fun to listen to. So I think that he can be good. I think this just is not. I don't think this is the project that's going to catapult him. I think the thing with Herbo is he has a lot of different flows. He does switch it up a fair amount, but his voice always is pretty much the same. And I think it can sound a little monotonous because his, you know, his his content's pretty focused on his life in Chicago growing Mm -hmm. up and having a hard time with that, obviously. When he's talking about the same stuff, more or less, throughout all of his music, if the voice isn't changing that much, I agree. The songs can feel samey, and that's even if he's kind of changing the flows or changing the patterns. But I do think he has potential to be great, but this was like, you know, I don't think there's any songs that were really bad. I mean, some of these may have been a little copied together, but it's just mainly all solid stuff, and I want to see him get past solid. Because, like, the drill scene in Chicago has slowed, has waned, and he's kind of removed himself from that, but I really want to see him Again, like he had the Who Run It moment. That was great for him, but I want to see some kind of hit that's like a Herbo hit, you know? Because when we think of him, we just think of what we've just said, this this hard Chicago vibe more than any like real style. So yeah, I, I'm still in on Herbo, but I want to I wanna hear more. I, I do think there there's one song he sings on, which is Yerk 30, I, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. I, I think when he sings, it's actually pretty interesting and, and decent. So I think maybe if he were to lean... A little bit more into that to at least like bring some variation to the songs. Maybe that could be a, a recipe for you know some some differentiation at least. But any songs on here that really stood out to you? I actually like the last two songs, Bolt Chamberlain and Hood Cycle, a lot. I actually thought he paired well with Juice World, another Chicago artist that's quite different than him. And actually, I was surprised. I really liked Gunna on Train to Kill. I'm usually not big into Gunna, but I thought that worked really well. And then just a solo song, I really liked to uh, do your shit. So like again, there's a lot of solid stuff on here. 
but yeah, maybe just bounce around with it as opposed to just the full listen. But Herbo, definitely name the watch still. I'm expecting more. So again, check all those song, all those albums out, and you can find the tracks we like the most. Uh, now, Nostalgia Best of 2019. All right, moving on to TV. Netflix just pumping out the content, man. It's non-stop. There's always something to watch on the channel. They, they actually just picked up the Ted Bundy, Zac Efron movie today. Nine million. Crazy. Like they, They're just constantly pumping stuff out. And one of those shows, Black Earth Rising. It's not really a courtroom drama, but it's a it's a political lawyer drama about it's about about legal yeah, stuff. Yeah, legal it's drama. a legal drama, I would say about <laughs> war criminals uh, during the Rwandan genocide and years afterwards, kind of uncovering mm-hmm. uh, some of what happened and trying to prosecute these people. It's interesting. It, it stars Michaela Cole, John Goodman, among a bunch of other people. This is a show that feels like it has all the elements to be a really interesting gripping great show somehow the formula just didn't add up for me i think that it had some really good moments and there were some pretty good performances but a lot of time it left me just feeling kind of like it missed the mark maybe it was pacing maybe it was too many characters uh, i think at points and a bit of a confusing plot but there was i think there's a lot of elements that we can kind of dive into but how did you feel about the show as a whole? Yeah, I agree. I think it's you know, this is another mini series. Hugo Blick, Englishman. That's what he's done recently. Uh, was it uh, Honorable Woman and The Shadow Line? His most recent two: uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Chichwell Echafor, Christopher Eccleston. Between those two shows, pretty well known in terms of making these UK mini series. And, uh, and this, again, like you said, on paper sounded great. Talking about some really heavy shit. Yeah, John Goodman is a supporting role, mm-hmm. and then Michaela Cole, who's kind of been coming up for a while really getting a chance to shine i I agree i think pacing is probably an issue i think the script was just unnecessarily clunky and like things were more confusing than they needed to be because it's not like anything was that confusing or hard to follow it just sometimes was presented that way which is bad because you're already talking about you know heavy stuff so it's not the best best mix right. there. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, because I really liked how it started at first. And I was like, I'm really in already. I thought that first scene mm-hmm. where the guy basically challenges Kay's mom on the, the neocolonialism of it all. And it really reminded me of uh, that Jeff Daniels scene in the newsroom, the first episode, where he's like, America isn't great anymore. It was basically the mission statement of the show right in the beginning. Right. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I know exactly what they're going for. And yet... I think they kind of like fumbled the ball at the end because they never really delivered on that message beyond getting the initial premise. So it was uh, disappointing. I still think there, there's a lot to like here. As far as the co-productions, the BBC co-productions on Netflix that we talked about recently, Bodyguard, Collateral, uh, even Sex Education was made in England. It's probably on the, on the lower end, unfortunately. So it's it's really interesting. You know, I, I think what, what drew me in most was John Goodman. I, I think he's just a wonderful actor. And his character, I think, was somehow underserved john goodman as an actor was underserved in this role because he has so much charisma and so much charm and can play so many different roles well and i felt like he pretty much just had to be like a more subdued kind of middleman in this he got really like one or two scenes to really cook and one of those scenes he was drowning in like a river or what was that a river ocean lake and somehow michaela cole's kate ashby character is able to pull this 350 pound man out of the depths of the water after almost drowning herself that was just a very bizarre and baffling and dramatic scene but i i felt like there, like other than kate not many of the characters really got to meet 
reach their full potential. I don't know. I, I don't know if maybe you agree with that, but I, I, st- I don't think that means that their performance was bad, but the characters, because there was so much going on and they had so many different people involved, never really got to be what I think they could have been. Yeah, I agree. I mean, also, like, a, a guy as talented as John Goodman, you give him, like, that oldest trick in the book. Here's your daughter in a hospital, easy sympathy, all <laughs> slash place to give speeches. Right. Like, that's just that's just clunky part of the screenplay that you just need to fix. I think in terms of, like, as the way the plot moved, I liked it, what was it, episode three or four, where there was that old guy the, who made all his money off the ivory, like, that mansion. Yep. I thought his exchanges with Kate were pretty compelling. But meanwhile, like, this, the plot was m- kind of meandering the whole time. All do, like, and, like, for that, that whole payoff was about this photo of these French soldiers. And, like, again, the premise about, like, the culpability of the French and whether Europeans should be the ones handing out the justice for crimes committed in Africa and whether that's just a new form of, you know, colonialism in the modern day. That's all really good stuff. And worth exploring, but it just kind of seems like the weird plot almost got in the way of that more than it helped, you know? And I didn't think the message at the end was all that compelling, so it's frustrating because, like, again, like, I was really, really involved and really into it in the beginning, and I just think it just started to fade away as the screenplay just was unintentionally, or unintentional forced errors all the time, you know? So disappointing, but not bad. It's just you, you can just see the skeleton. You can see how much better it could have been. And I think that's that actually makes it even more disappointing because you could you could see the potential right there, you know. Yeah, it's such it's such a great idea and an interesting idea. I think you know the Rwandan genocide is one of the tragedies of the last thirty years that probably is least understood by maybe like the common American, you know, or, or maybe even the common citizen in the world outside of some of these countries that were more involved in closer to it so it's a it's something that it, at least for me feels like it should grip my attention and it, it just didn't i i mean i think there were some really cool moments but i think it almost got bogged down into all the moving parts and maybe even like simplifying the script yeah. a little bit would have really done some good hugo blick though plays a pretty good like asshole villain i gotta give him credit he was the uh the lawyer for that got killed oh, with, right. in the car. Like I hated him, man. Like I was like, damn, this guy is so mm-hmm. good at being hateable. Also, uh, shout out to Tamara Tooney, who has been in like a bunch of Law and Orders in, in the past and stuff. But she gets to be this like very powerful woman, and uh, I thought she was actually really good in her role. And every time she showed up, I really felt like she brought some life to what was going on, even if somehow she just was able to pull things together all out of thin air a lot of the time and sometimes backhanded. Sure. So any last thoughts on Black Earth Rising? I'm looking forward to seeing more from Michaela Cole again. Yeah. I think the screenplay held her and Goodman back, but she's clearly a talent. I'm, I mean, she was in USS Callister in mm-hmm. a supporting role, but I believe she broke out of a show called Chewing Gum, but I was never really familiar with her. Um, I believe she's already in her 30s, so this is nice that she, yeah, she's 31, so nice that she's getting a, a nice look here, so I'm sure she'll get cast in some more stuff very soon. Someone that I have a feeling is going to be breaking out very soon is the star of Hannah, Esme Creedmont. I thought she was great in this pilot, you know, right after during one of the commercial Super Bowl said, Hannah, they're going to be dropping the first episode for 24 hours on Amazon Prime right after the Super Bowl. So we were like, we got to get on this. You know, got, got our guy, Joel Kinnaman, going to be cooking. And it's really him and her in the first uh, first episode. You know, it shows uh, Joel Kinnaman taking this baby, you know, in this crazy chase and a very action-packed beginning. Um, and then raising 
Hannah to be this uh, warrior killing machine, it seems like. I thought the pilot was pretty intriguing and it leaves a lot there to to uncover and learn about. I also thought it was fairly realistic. You know, um, I think a lot of times there are these, you, you know, these movies where someone's like raised in the wild and then, you know, confronted with modern society can be very like tropey and this actually felt kind of true to how mm-hmm. i feel like someone in that situation might react upon facing some of those things what was your take on on the pilot for hannah yeah i agree i thought the pilot actually i really liked the pace of it doesn't waste any time with kinnaman taking the baby in the beginning that that goes very quick nor does it waste much time with their training in the forest by the end of the pilot they're already separated she's already captured like it's very quick and in, in that one, in that one, that forty-eight minutes, it establishes, as you said, her 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 strengths and everything she's learned, as well as her lack of connection with the outside world. It really establishes everything you need right away. And also, we get a fair amount of action, which I thought looked pretty cool, both like the stealth stuff and the actual like hand-to-hand stuff. So, um, as well as a chase in the beginning with the helicopter, mm-hmm. right? So, I, as far as this kind of show, which is you know, I think it's like an action thriller, probably similar to Jack Ryan, another show Amazon made. I think it is really effective in selling you on what the show is and i don't believe a lot of people saw the original hannah movie in 2011 um which i actually have always wanted to see i haven't seen it but i was looking back i didn't realize it was directed by joe wright and i didn't realize that hannah was played by a young saoirse Ronan. yeah not to mention eric banna and kate blanchett are also in it so and from what i gathered this pilot captures about the first third of the film and i didn't seem like they I, i didn't think they rushed anything i thought they were naturally moving it quickly so i think it was very effective and also, a nice look for uh, Joel Kinnaman, because he's a guy I really liked when he's on House of Cards, a show that obviously was falling, already falling off the time. But I thought he was very compelling as that, uh, was he a governor who was like yeah. running against Underwood? I forget exactly who his character, but I really liked him there. And like he's had a lot of like tough breaks recently. Suicide he was Squad. the RoboCop remake guy. He was in Suicide Squad. He was in Altered Carbon. Like He he's, hasn't had a, a hit in a while, so I'm hoping this will help him out critically just because it does seem like it's it's a more reserved role for him. Obviously, he's bad, there's a bit of an accent. Mm-hmm. I, I'm quite intrigued and looking forward to seeing the show, which I believe is premiering sometime next month. Yeah, I think that not only does it seem like this is going to be action-packed, but I, I think there's going to be enough mystery to really keep people interested and kind of pull it along. I'm wondering if this is going to be a miniseries or if they would consider doing more seasons of this, depending on popularity of it i mean amazon right. i'm sure if, if it gets enough popularity will pay them to do it especially because they're trying to get in that content game but uh, uh, lots to look forward to do we know when this is going to be dropping all the episodes yeah we don't even know how many episodes it is but we know we just know it's coming in march yeah i, I can't see anything but it, it was a straight to series order they didn't even they, they they were confident in this they ordered it right away um but yeah we don't really know much about that but yeah in theory if they go beyond the plot of the movie there's a lot of free roam, I, uh, free reign. I know they, uh, when I was reading, they aged this up a little bit. Uh, the original Hannah doesn't take place quite as in a modern mm-hmm. setting, so that's part of it. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm intrigued to see more. Um, also, shout out uh, Joanna Kulik. She was uh, the yeah. mom who died, and of course, she was amazing in yeah. Cold War, which we'll be talking about uh, in a few weeks. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about Cold War, but we're, we're tabling that for uh, right before the Oscars. Uh, you know, Hannah seems to be very intriguing, and, and I thought Esme was was great, so I'm really looking forward to seeing yes. how she cooks and throughout this whole thing. Yeah, Black Earth Rising, a little underwhelming. Hannah seems to be off to a better start than that, so uh, let's hope we can keep the momentum. Uh, something that gained a lot of momentum over the weekend, and kind of unexpectedly, was 
Velvet Buzzsaw, uh, a movie by Dan Gilroy that kind of came out of nowhere, it seems like. Dan Gilroy, known for Roman J. Israel Esquire, Nightcrawler. Being Tony Gilroy's brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he drops this, this film, and I gotta say, like, I, I watched it, and I was kind of left a little bit confused. And I think where, where I felt confused was... I wasn't sure what type of what like what tone the movie was going for exactly. And listening right. to interviews with him and listening to him talk about it, I think on a rewatch I would appreciate the film a lot more because I would kind of know the lens that he wanted you to see it from. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing about how this film was made or if that means that the film was made well or not. I thought some of the performances were great, but yeah, it kind of left me with a, scratching my head a little bit. What did you think of Buzz, Velvet Buzzsaw? Yeah, I agree. You know, going in. I was like, all right, Dan Gilroy's next movie's coming out. Oh, it's a Netflix movie. Oh, it's like a horror thriller. Okay. Usually don't like horror movies. I'll watch it, though, for for, for the pod, Content purposes. You know? If it's more like Get Out or something, like that type of horror film, I'll, I'll be into it. I'll be fine. But it's not really scary. No. All like the, quote, scary moments are pretty goofy in general. Also, they're almost exclusively in like bright settings. It's not, there's no jump scares. It's not even a slasher film. So it's not really anything traditionally horror, but also it's so like campy when it has those scenes. But yeah, overall, I thought like the whole like satirization of like the art world and uh, like LA culture and putting value in inane things like art. I was like, that, that that's a cool concept. You can do that with these kind of actors and these kind of characters and just go really hammy with it. I just felt like that in the screenplay conflicted with this poltergeisty threat that's kind of nebulous so it, it almost seemed like the the horror elements or the, the 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 murder elements anyway were getting in the way of like any any satire any message that he was trying to get across yeah. so i still i found it entertaining just because i thought there was a lot of talented actors here and they're all pretty good in this but it was definitely jarring and i almost wonder what would the movie have been if you just kept all these like crazy characters and just dropped all the uh, ghost shit entirely and just did just the satire. Like, could that have been better? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head to a lot of the, the way I felt about the movie. Just like the, the satire mixed with the, the horror aspects didn't seem to really blend very well together. I think the satire was the strongest part. You know, just seeing Jake Gyllenhaal be this absolutely ridiculous art critic and some of the lines that he said. And I, you could tell that everybody was having a great time playing the characters that they were in because they got to be these ridiculous pretentious la art critics who take these like you said inane pieces of art and are like really breaking them down talking about all this meaning behind them i mean for god's sakes jake gyllenhaal's character's name is morph vanderwall like what a ridiculous name (laughs) like all these names are so pretentious it's amazing but yeah the horror part it also seemed to kind of not really give the movie a lot of direction by the end like they were like okay we gotta kill all these all these people who are profiting off this art and exploiting this this dead artist so they kind of just put them in situations where they died but it's like they were kind of doing like leading up to it and then all of a sudden it's like okay everybody's gonna die by by art in some way and i think the other thing the reason it wasn't that scary is by the end every death scene it's just a telegraph set piece. All right, now we're killing this guy right. somehow. Yep. Like there was no mystery to it. So, all right, here, he, like, literally by the second time when uh, what's his name, uh, John gets hung by his tie. Mm-hmm. I was like, you, you, you knew it was coming immediately. As soon as like the lights turn off, and because it's not like because there's no jump scares, because like horror movies can telegraph things all the time, but usually they speak they can 
do it because it'll still be actually scary when you know it's coming. But this movie isn't interested in actually doing it that way, mm-hmm. you know? So you're just kind of watching it happen. My favorite character was Gretchen, played by Toni mm-hmm. Collette. I thought she was awesome. Oh, she also probably had one of the better deaths. Yeah. Just having her arm. Get so yapped. ridiculous. One character I really did not like by the end was uh, Josephina, played by uh, Zal yeah. Ashton. Like she, she's in a lot of the plot. Like she's really the connective tissue for a lot of these characters, mm. which are throughout this world. And I don't know. She, I think she just descended into being very, very unlikable. Starts starting off as someone that like her boyfriend cheated on her, and she's underappreciated at her job. Yeah. You know, working for this art dealer. Like, oh, okay, that, that's a good start. And then it just totally goes off the rails for her. I really like Billy Bagnuson. I thought about him before. He did not get enough to do. Die too quick. Yeah. And there's one character that I think just didn't really. Or was almost unnecessary. I thought John Malkovich. Yeah. His artist character just felt so superfluous. Like he was just kind of there. But they also wasted whole scenes with him and other people that it just he just didn't feel important. Yeah, it, it almost felt like they really wanted to, to do more with him to kind of explain maybe Deese, like as a as an artist, like who he could have been. And then they were like, you know what, we're just gonna have him go away because he's his drinking problem has come back. And then he shows up for the ending credits. It's very strange just like they were like oh yeah we gotta do something with him okay just go away pretty much all the artists were treated that way like david diggs he was i think probably the funniest part of the movie for me like every time he showed up yeah. like when he's cooking in the kitchen and jake gyllenhaal and oh that my was god funny. that was hilarious but felt like they really underserved a lot of a lot of the artists and focused more on the the critics and the people profiting off it which i guess is probably supposed to be the, the point like these these leeches profiting off other people's art then meeting this demise it, it just kind of felt like it was going in all these directions and didn't tie it together very well and like it they, they had the part where you were learning about who Deese was and like background and it was like okay so maybe this, there's going to be like some payoff here but there really wasn't you have N- natalia dyer who i thought like my theory throughout was like oh she's going to be like related to Deese because she's always the one to find the dead people like it seemed like she was always that oh, and then no she just she just is there to find the dead people. Like, that's her yeah. role. And in the end, she just goes back to Michigan. Yeah. Okay, All right. cool. Like, a little, little disappointing. Yeah, so <laughs> it's, you know, it, it gained a lot of attention over the weekend. You know, as Sundance, people were talking about it. But really, I think that this could have used a little bit more, maybe some, some script doctoring, maybe just some more thoughtfulness on, like, the direction overall. Well, it's just weird because... Dan Gilroy's brother, Tony Gilroy, is like one of the most notorious fixers <laughs> right. in Hollywood for this very reason. Uh, notably saved Rogue One recently. You think he could have like seen the cut and been like, hey, Dan, change this? Because like him and Dan have written screenplays together and like Dan Gilroy is obviously really talented. Again, like he had the idea of, of, the, of satirizing and doing it really campy and just going all in on the LA art scene. That's fine. I think that would have worked good, but it ultimately ended up just being really clunky and by the end it just the beats were very predictable so disappointing given the pedigree yeah, you know definitely i think i think we're gonna wrap up there for this week what do we got to look forward to next week dave well hopefully 21 savage will be out of ice custody yeah, that, that's so much week. fucking bullshit and also it's not i know people are like making a lot of jokes but i don't find it very funny like personally i don't find but, it funny either also like why are you going after this dude who pays like hella taxes right. In America, and it's like good for American society. The whole can of worms. I was very, very mad when I saw that news. Let's put it that way. Anyway, Russian Doll, which I mentioned last week, came out on Friday on Netflix. Eight episodes, four hours long. Pat, you've seen the whole thing already. You yeah. really liked it. Uh, everyone likes it. I haven't started it yet. We're talking about the whole season. 
next week, so make sure you watch that on Netflix. We're also going to be watching High Flying Bird, Steven Soderbergh's latest film about uh, basketball and sports business and whatnot. His latest film to be shot on an iPhone. Uh, Steven Soderbergh, probably the least famous great director of the time. Which is crazy because he made Ocean's Eleven, which is probably one of the most popular know, tv movies and a bunch of stuff like his movie coming out it's an event in itself so we're talking about that the grammys are on <laughs> sunday as we've said before the grammys themselves don't matter because most musicians don't actually care about them but we'll still talk about what happens because what's her name probably is gonna win uh, who's who's the who's nominated for album of the year that came out nowhere um, Man, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll do some bloodletting on Monday. Let's put it that way. Ariana Grande, thank you. Next, you, you want it, you got it. Here it is. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see how how this record is. It's, Who it's, wanted uh, it? it? Hasn't been Did very long. It? Me? I didn't want this. <laughs> Not me. No. <laughs> don't put this on me. At Ricky Bobby. Lastly, Lego Movie Two. Lord and Miller still involved. Hot off Spider Verse being a huge success for them. Early reviews are very positive once again. So. We'll see how that turns out. But uh, yeah, another big week. Before to using my new AMC A-list to go see Lego movies yes, sir. this weekend. Save that money. Yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't see Cold War with the playlist, so I ponied up to see it because I've heard such good reviews. Cold War was a very interesting movie-going experience. I'll talk more about it when we review it. But man, old people are just really bad to watch a movie with. Like, <laughs> just not, not who you want to be with. So I, I will say on that note, my dad, he talks more and more at the movies than he ever has before it's like not even at like a low volume anymore it's like whatever he's thinking of as a prediction he just said it. <laughs> oh my god that would be infuriating to me just all of a sudden like oh this is what's gonna happen couldn't be me <laughs> yep. uh so yeah tune in next week we'll be talking about all that and probably more as as things pop up free 21 go patriots all is right with the world with the red Sox and patriots top of the sports of their respective sports you know uh, a mm. four-month-old born in boston has seen more titles than a knicks jets and mets mets fan has seen so thank god that you're a yankees fan dave shout out all those knicks jets and mets fans uh see you next week